This episode contains real experiences shared through Reddit. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening and welcome in to Disturbed. This week, I've got three real experiences that are sure to give you a good scare. So join me, won't you? as we explore the realm of true horror. Our first experience comes from Reddit user BlueTidal. And introducing new guest narrator Nicole Goodnight. You may recognize her work from the No Sleep podcast. So lock the doors and get out of sight, because there's nothing quite as unnerving as The Smiling Man. About five years ago, I lived downtown in a major city in the U.S. I've always been a night person, so I would often find myself bored after my roommate, who was decidedly not a night person, went to sleep. To pass time, I used to go for long walks and spend the time thinking. I spent four years like that, walking alone at night and never once had a reason to feel afraid. I always used to joke with my roommates that even the drug dealers in the city were polite. But all of that changed in just a few minutes of one evening. It was a Wednesday, somewhere between 1 and 2 in the morning, and I was walking near a police-patrolled park quite a ways from my apartment. It was a quiet night, even for a weeknight, with very little traffic and almost no one on foot. The park, as it was most nights, was completely empty. I turned down a short side street in order to loop back to my apartment when I first noticed him. At the far end of the street, on my side, was the silhouette of a man dancing. It was a strange dance similar to a waltz, but he finished each box with an odd forward stride. I guess you could say he was dance-walking, headed straight for me. Deciding that he was probably drunk, I stepped as close as I could to the road to give him the majority of the sidewalk to pass me by. The closer he got, the more I realized how gracefully he was moving. He was very tall and lanky and wearing an old suit. He danced closer still until I could make out his face. His eyes were open wide and wild, head tilted back slightly, looking off at the sky. His mouth was formed in a painfully wide cartoon of a smile. Between the eyes and the smile, I decided to cross the street before he danced any closer. I took my eyes off him to cross the empty street. As I reached the other side, I glanced back and then stopped dead in my tracks. He had stopped dancing and was standing with one foot in the street, perfectly parallel to me. He was facing me, but still looking skyward, smile still wide on his lips. I was completely and utterly unnerved by this. I started walking again, but kept my eyes on the man. He didn't move. Once I had put about half a block between us, I turned away from him for a moment to watch the sidewalk in front of me. The street and sidewalk ahead of me were completely empty. Still unnerved, I looked back to where he had been standing to find him gone. For the briefest of moments, 
I felt relieved until I noticed him. He had crossed the street and was now slightly crouched down. I couldn't tell for sure due to the distance and the shadows, but I was certain he was facing me. I had looked away from him for no more than ten seconds, so it was clear that he had moved fast. I was so shocked that I stood there for some time staring at him. And then he started moving towards me again. He took giant, exaggerated, tiptoed steps as if he were a cartoon character sneaking up on someone. Except he was moving very, very quickly. I'd like to say at this point I ran away or pulled out my pepper spray or my cell phone or anything at all, but I didn't. I just stood there, completely frozen as the smiling man crept towards me. And then he stopped again, about a car length away from me, still smiling his smile, still looking to the sky. When I finally found my voice, I blurted out the first thing that came to mind. What I meant to ask was, what the fuck do you want? In an angry, commanding tone, what came out was a whimper. What the fuck? Regardless of whether or not humans can smell fear, they can certainly hear it. I heard it in my own voice, and that only made me more afraid. But he didn't react to it at all. He just stood there, smiling. And then, after what felt like forever, he turned around, very slowly, and started dance-walking away. Just like that. Not wanting to turn my back to him again, I just watched him go until he was far enough away to almost be out of sight. And then I realized something. He wasn't moving away anymore, nor was he dancing. I watched in horror as the distant shape of him grew larger and larger. He was coming back my way, and this time he was running. I ran too. I ran until I was off the side road and back onto a better lit road with sparse traffic. Looking behind me then, he was nowhere to be found. The rest of the way home, I kept glancing over my shoulder, always expecting to see his stupid smile. But he was never there. I lived in that city for six months after that night, and I never went out for another walk. There was something about his face that always haunted me. He didn't look drunk. He didn't look high. He looked completely and utterly insane. And that's a very, very scary thing to see. In our next experience, we meet Reddit user CoolMom81 and we introduce guest narrator Sarah Rose. Just a quick tip. Be careful who you date. I had gotten out of an eight-year abusive relationship and met someone on a popular dating app. To be honest, I wasn't looking for anything serious, just someone to go watch a movie or have a drink with every now and then. I had two boys and was happy and living a peaceful life on my own after going through hell. So I meet this guy who's just a couple years older than me, and he had turned his life around. When he was younger, he used to be in gangs and drugs, and now he was into working out and staying really fit and doing family stuff. I guess you can say I felt protected by him. He was a hard worker, self-sufficient, had a son, and he loved going to the gym every day. 
I myself had kind of a crazy past but overcame, and so we seemed like a good fit. We would go to dinner, movies, normal dating stuff. But eventually he wanted to spend more and more time together, and I was having trouble giving up all my free time for him, and he would get angry about this. Like, really angry. After being with a controlling, possessive asshole for so long, this was obviously a red flag. And after three months, I told him I didn't want to see him anymore. He said he needed to confess something to me. He admitted to me that he was using steroids, and that was the reason for his mood swings. He cried and said he was sure that was the reason, and was willing to stop if it meant he could have another chance. And I obliged, but only under the condition that we remain friends. Things were okay for a while. We saw each other maybe every other week, and he started wanting to see me every week, to which I told him that I was not interested in being anything other than friends at the moment, since I was not ready for a relationship. He tried to talk me into giving him another chance, but I just didn't find myself interested in him in a romantic way, and so I insisted that we just be friends. I stopped talking to him, because I got mad at his insistence that we still talk every day since he said that's what friends do. He would always ask about my whereabouts and ask for pictures of who I was hanging out with, and I told him that this is not what friends do, and he just insisted that he just innocently wanted to see what I was up to. Fast forward six months later, and I hadn't spoken to him at all within that time. I was happy and living my life, and on one particular night when my youngest son was at his dad's, I went out to a local bar with friends. My oldest son, who was 13 at the time, was home alone, so I left a little early to make it home around 10 p.m. I lay down in bed and go to sleep. So a little info on my living situation. I had been living in my condo for almost a year now, and we lived in a great, safe community. And I would leave my patio sliding glass door open, screen closed, to get a breeze in at night, no biggie. My bedroom was close to the patio, and my son would sleep in the loft that was closest to the front door. I'm dead asleep when I suddenly feel someone slowly sit on my bed. I'm laying in bed wondering why my son would come sit on my bed so slowly. He wouldn't. I turn around and... It's not him. It's Mario, not his real name, laying down in bed next to me. I sit up and ask him how he got in. He's not answering me. He says, I needed to talk to you. I said, okay, when you need to talk to someone, you don't sneak into someone's room. You call them, you leave a note for them, literally anything but this. I'm thinking, I'm gonna kill my kid for letting him in. He said, I didn't have your number anymore, and I needed to talk to you before it's too late. I didn't even entertain the before it's too late bit because I was livid, but something told me to keep my cool. I sit up and say, look, I really want to talk to you too, but not like this. Please just leave and I promise we will talk tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. He gets up and walks over to my side of the bed and starts rubbing my shoulders and is slowly making his way to my neck. He says, do you really want to talk? I look him in the eyes and say, yes, I've been wanting to talk to you, but not like this. Please call me tomorrow. He stares at me while rubbing my neck and goes down to my shoulders and lets go. He says, okay. 
This motherfucker proceeds to exit through my patio door and jumps my patio wall, which tells me that is exactly how he got in. I freak the fuck out, check on my kid, he had no idea what was going on, locked all my doors, and I don't sleep the rest of the night. The next day, I text him, and I tell him that if I ever see him near me or in my complex, I will call the police and to never contact me again. If you're wondering why I didn't call the cops to begin with, I knew he had a gun, so A, I was scared of being retaliated against for being a snitch, and B, I figured if I called the cops, they would probably not do much or just let him out, and I was afraid of what he would do after the fact. Either way, he left me alone and I didn't hear from him for years. Four years later, I'm going through Facebook, and I see his face in People You May Know. I click on the picture and notice that it looks like a jail picture. You know, those pictures where the guy is clearly in a jail cell. I scroll down the page, and his most recent post is him posting his address for his family members to write to. A prison address. So I Google his name, and, sure enough, articles after articles all with the same headline. Man arrested on suspicion of killing girlfriend. About two years after him and I dated, he shot and killed the girl he was dating. That could have been me. And I feel like shit thinking if there was anything I could have done to stop him. Even scarier thought is that he only got 12 years for her murder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something is creeping Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. In our final experience, we're introduced to Reddit user Enough Pizza Now, with narration by yours truly. Sometimes, you wind up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe, it's exactly where you're supposed to be. I deliver pizza. And I'd been having a really busy night, non-stop back and forth, without any time to even pause and take a leak. I'd been so busy that I wasn't really thinking about bathroom breaks. But we're also going through a bit of a heat wave in our area, so I've been drinking copious amounts of water. All of a sudden, I was driving to this particular delivery. The urge to go to the bathroom hit me, like things went from 0 to 60 in an instant. Thankfully, I was close to the customer so I could get this one over with quickly. Or so I thought. I pulled up to the house, and it was an area I'd delivered to before. So I could immediately see that something wasn't right. All the lights were off in the house. Not even the glow of a television or anything. It was extra apparent because the streetlight closest to the door happened to be out of order. And on top of it all, the block was dead quiet. This is a big university area. And obviously there aren't many student renters in July, but there had to be at least one person, because somebody ordered this pizza. Maybe they just liked sitting in the dark, or they were out back in the yard, whatever. I just didn't want to get out of my car and knock on a quiet house in the middle of the night around 9.30pm without first checking that I had the correct address and the customer was inside. It was scorching that night, even after sundown. My car's AC is a joke, and the piping hot pizzas don't help things much. So I have to try and open the car door as infrequently as possible to keep any cool air in. I called the number the customer provided, and the voice on the other end said, kind of out of breath, Yeah? I just try to keep it clear and concise. Hey, It's your pizza out front, but there doesn't appear to be anybody home. And the customer replied, still gasping for air. Yeah, I'm not home. I had to pee so badly by that point that I was much less patient than I'd otherwise be with a customer right out of the gate. Well, then we're going to have to terminate the order because I've arrived in the stated delivery window and you were supposed to pay in cash, so I don't know what to tell you. Plan ahead next time. I instantly regretted letting my bladder do the talking for me, as the voice on the other end came through more clearly as a young, bubbly, and very distraught girl who couldn't have been older than 20 or 25. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I was running down the street so I could barely hear you. She cried. I just switched out of my AirPods. Is this better? Sorry, I completely lost track of time at work, but I knew you were coming. That's why I'm literally running home right now. Please don't leave. I'm starving and I don't have a car. Seriously, please don't leave. Five minutes tops, okay? I know what it's like to be hungry and running late and have no car, but not live near any restaurants. 
Plus, when I heard her voice, I began to remember more specifically having delivered to this place a couple times before, and she'd always been perfectly nice. Now I felt bad for snapping at her. I tried to walk it back, while simultaneously looking out my window for potential spots to pee. No, no, my bad. I'm letting the heat get to me, and it's not your fault. No need to rush. See you when you get here. I hung up and while surveilling the street was starting to think I was really out of luck. All of the other houses had people in them and were too close together, so there were no clumps of trees or any out-of-the-way patches of land or anything. Of course, I had just tossed my empty water bottle at the last delivery because I'm an idiot. Finally, I decided it was escalating to the point of an emergency, and the safest bet was to use a bush in front of the woman's house. She wasn't home. The streetlight was out, so no one could see me. The people who were home were inside. My car was parked across the street, and we're a small shop. We don't wear uniforms. So if someone did spot me, they'd have no way to connect me to my employer. Animals pee outside all the time. Humans are animals. This is fine. I scurried over to the tallest bush in her front yard. She didn't really have much of a yard. More just a walkway lined with bushes and flowers that ran adjacent to her front door. The biggest cluster of bushes, the only one where I could be sure there would be no visible splatter on the side of the house, was about four feet from her door. I looked both ways, unzipped, and let it fly. After the initial millisecond of relief, I noticed the sound was way off. More like pissing on something solid than something leafy. I started panicking, thinking I'd aimed wrong. But once I start, I can't stop midstream. So I kept squinting into the darkness to see if maybe I was hitting a key rock or something and could just move a few inches over. Instead, all of a sudden, I heard a way more concerning noise. A deep voice exclaiming, What the fuck? And before I could turn around, assuming I'd been caught by a neighbor... A man came leaping out of the bushes. He blew by me, brushing my golden shower off him as he did. He spit pretty emphatically on the ground, so I think I might have beamed him right in the face. I didn't see where he went after a few paces, but though this next part is kind of a blur, I do think I remember hearing a car screech out from a bit further away after a minute. I'd gotten some night vision by that point, so I was able to make out his height, build, and outfit but only the most general details of each. I was in such shock that I didn't even put my dick away. I just stood there trying to figure out what happened. The reality was so terrifying that my mind refused to accept it and impulsively searched for a reasonable explanation that could make everything okay. I thought, could these bushes lead to some backyard area and just look like they were against the house? Could they have been obscuring an open window? My inner voice was desperately screaming, Bruh, that man was wearing a hoodie in 90 degree weather. That was a bad man. You're in a bad situation. But the very idea that I was within inches of a guy who would be hiding in bushes at all, let alone in front of a young woman's house at night, just wasn't something I was ready to grapple with yet. I was coping by not coping. My fight-or-flight response totally failed me at that point, because my dumbass did the absolute last thing I should have done, and approached the bushes to try and validate this 
there must have been a good reason for the man in the hoodie to be behind these bushes in the middle of the night theory. So I walked over to the side, turned on my phone flashlight, and tried to peer around the line of shrubbery. Pro tip, as scary as things may look in the dark, seeing them with a single beam of your flashlight can sometimes make it even worse. That's when I saw the bag. There was a tattered drawstring bag sitting behind the bushes, slightly splashed with pee. But I was in such a moronic daze from the shock that I groped around for it thinking, see, this is it. This will explain why he was back here. It explained it. Once I maneuvered it over and pulled it open, I saw a sharp knife, a roll of duct tape, and a bottle of pills. The delusions officially broke at that point, and all the adrenaline, endorphins, and self-preservation instincts that had been suppressed kicked in ten times over. I became whatever the opposite of dazed is, more laser-focused than I had ever been in my life, with one singular goal, get back to my car. I dropped the bag, booked it across the street, got in my car, and slammed the pedal to the floor before the door was even all the way closed. I went as far as I could, as fast as I could, until I hit a red signal. Then I pulled off to the side and realized I shouldn't be driving any more than necessary in the condition I was. I pulled into the parking lot of a 24-hour drugstore and took a breath. I was finally calm and coherent enough to zip up and formulate a plan of action. My first lucid thought was, who do I call first, the police or the girl whose house that was? I thought about it for what couldn't have been really more than 10 seconds, but felt like an hour, and decided, okay, I'm in my locked car with the engine running. If trouble starts, I can drive away. I know something's up. She might not. She needs to know not to keep walking in that direction. But as I was dialing her number, it occurred to me, what if there was no girl? I thought I remembered delivering to that house before, but what if I was wrong? What if the girl on the phone was just a decoy to get me there to rob me, or worse? Every pizza guy on the planet has seen the Evil Genius documentary by now. So I thought, she called me all out of breath. She wasn't home. The whole thing was off. Can't risk it. I'll start with the cops. I called 911. The operator was very helpful in keeping me calm, because I was a complete wreck by this point. He kept assuring me that someone would be there soon. I kept telling them they had to get there before the girl did. But I was trying to express three thoughts at once, and really damaging my own credibility. It came out more as this. You've got to save this girl because he wasn't after me, I was just delivering a pizza. Unless they were after me, in which case there might not have been a girl. But I talked to one on the phone, so then you should find that girl because they used her to lure me there. But if she's real, she doesn't know about the guy, who was also real. And there could be more guys if there's actually a girl. And you know what? Even if there isn't a girl, there might actually be more guys. I only checked one part of the bushes, so I don't actually know. But we'll know which guy is the one I saw because I pissed all over him, you know? I didn't mean to. This was back when I thought the girl was real, but not home. But she might be real, so you really need to find her if she is because the guy was real. Finally, they basically just asked me to stop talking and stay on the line. But that was when I saw an incoming call from the customer. 
I couldn't answer it without disrupting my 911 call, so I just ignored it. But then she sent me a text like, Hey, I'm here. Don't see you. I told 911 she was there, and they said officers were only minutes away. But who knows how long that meant? Especially after I'd given such a scattered account of the events in my panic. I just felt overwhelmed with guilt. Because my rational mind said the odds of her being a decoy girl for some large scam targeting pizza guys were low. And the odds of her being the intended victim of a predator were high. So I put my 911 call on mute, where I can hear them but they can't hear me, and turned back, heart absolutely pounding out of my chest, compulsively muttering, fuck, 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 the entire way. Then I took 911 off mute and told them I had returned to look for the girl. They weren't happy about that, but I saw her meandering past the parked cars in the street, looking to see if one was mine, and I waved her down, flashing my brights. She bounced on over to the window of my car, happy-go-lucky. I figured that was a good sign that she wasn't in on whatever this was. But I was just so scared to be back in the general area and to not know what had just happened or what was going to happen. I kept whispering, get in, get in. And she was like, get it? Huh? Oh, you want me to get the pizza from the back? I didn't want to make the same mistake with her that I had with 911. So instead of trying to tell the whole story, I stuck to the bare basic facts. There was a man in your bushes. I'm on the phone with police. I don't know where he is right now. Please get in the car so we can lock the doors. I was barely able to get even those sentences out. And I was shaking like I'd have 10 cups of black coffee. I held up my phone with 911 on the call screen to verify it for her. I thought that was why she got in the car with no further explanation. But it turns out, that wasn't entirely it. You still there? Is she with you? Are you safe? Is anyone else there? 911 kept checking in, not knowing who the third party I was talking to. I reassured them, and we drove more cautiously this time to a location 911 instructed us to wait as to speak with police after they cleared the area. I didn't actually have to do much after that. The police came pretty soon after. A police car met us, I gave a statement telling them everything I observed, and she went to go speak to more officers in more detail than they needed me for. It turns out, the reason she got right into a strange pizza guy's car without probing any deeper into my story is because she knew who the man was right away from my description. She had an abusive ex-boyfriend who was apparently psychotic enough that he immediately came to mind from hearing, there's a guy in your bushes. She later called us to thank me and insist on leaving a huge tip. I wasn't there when the call came in, so the kid who answered didn't know to refuse to accept the money. But the manager already promised the next time we see her, we can load her up with enough one free pie cards to last a lifetime. Easily, the scariest thing that has ever happened to me on the job or off. I don't get the chance to tell this story much because I try to avoid sharing it with anyone who could possibly know the girl or know of the event. But I'm still not the same since. Even though I know he didn't even have anything to do with me directly, this truly shook me to my core. So, man in the bushes, let's not meet.
You've been listening to Disturbed. Original score for this episode by Kevin Hartnell. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. You can see more info on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, help us grow by sharing the show with a friend. And make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so you always get the newest episodes automatically. You can learn more about our Patreon fan club and benefits package for as little as $1 a month over at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. If you have your own disturbing experience you want to share for the podcast, leave us a voicemail through our hotline at 701-712-8008. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest Disturbed news. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay safe out there, y'all.